Hello and welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart, aka Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Building Sustainability consists of conversations with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to episode 45. So before we start, I want to say a massive thanks to Henrietta Dale, Roland Keeble, Philippa Batia, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, Philippa, and Colin McClelland. Uh, they have all joined the Building Sustainability Patreon uh, since the last episode. So your support is so massively appreciated. I hope that you are enjoying all of the bonus audio that is available to the Patreon subscribers. Um, if you would like to join, there is a link in the show notes, or you can go to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. I also want to say thank you to Roland Keeble again. Not only is he now a Patreon supporter of the podcast, he has created two fantastic bite-sized episodes all about the wonders of clay. And I thought I knew quite a lot about clay. It's one of my main building materials. But I learned a lot of new information. So make sure you check those out. Uh, they are bite-sized episodes, which should pop up in your feed, same as any other. Also wanted to put a shout out. If you have a topic that you think uh, you'd like to discuss in a bite-sized episode, then get in contact via the website. That is buildingsustainabilitypodcast.com. Yeah, drop us a message and uh, and highlight what it is you'd like to talk about. While on the website, um, it has been revamped recently. So now if you're listening to an episode, you can click on one of the, the categories that that episode is listed in and you'll find a whole list of other episodes that are related. Um, and you can also get in contact. You can leave reviews. Uh, you can read up on the guests. Uh, you'll find links to all their websites. Hopefully it's uh, it's a lot easier. Okay, so this episode is with Martin Brown. And I was made aware of Martin's excellent work uh, because he was a fellow finalist in the ASBP Awards this year. He was in the final for his sessions called Zoom Regenerative. Uh, I have attended some of those and I thought they were fantastic. And Martin will tell you more about those in the episode. We also talk about the Living Building Challenge, which uh, I touched on in the last episode with Chris Magwood. So we go into a fair amount of depth on that. And, I mean, this is another episode where there's just so much information given out. Uh, and so there are many, many links from this discussion that are all in the show notes. Uh, so make sure you get stuck into them after listening. Um, and I've also popped a link to Martin's Regen Notes, which is his bi-weekly newsletter, uh, which is an excellent read if the uh, the topic of this episode tickles your interests. Okay, I'm back at the end. Enjoy the episode and apologies for the little yappy dog uh, that comes up about halfway through this episode. Uh, there are some things about boat life I might not miss. Okay, enjoy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, and I've given myself a title of sustainability provocateur. Um, I think anyone who's a consultant really struggles with the word consultancy. Um, it doesn't quite describe what, what to do. Mm-hmm. And it must be about three years or so ago, I was doing a, a TEDx type um, presentation, and I was asked for my title, and I, yeah, I was told I could not use consultancy in that sort of uh, context. Um, so. More or less on the spur of the moment, we 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 sort of brainstormed a few things that it's stuck on uh, yeah on provocateur, um, and that's good actually because it actually gives me the opportunity to poke and provoke and in a nice pleasant way and just challenge <laughs> people what, what they're doing. Um, th- th- that's the, the, the title I've given me. But uh, to to go back into uh, a, a quick potted um, c- careers to why mm-hmm. I got here, and we can explore various aspects of that. Um, as, as you know, Jeffrey grew up in Kensham. Um, mm-hmm. So I started my. Um, You're connecting back to your, your roots now, right now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I started my uh, construction career in, in Bath, I was based in Kensham, and that was as a, a quantity surveyor, then a site engineer. Then off to university, then uh, yeah, became a, a site manager, project manager, um, mostly in the UK, but uh, an expat stint in Trinidad and Tobago, in Boston. Uh, and then around the UK, um, the southwest, southeast, Midlands, and then up into into north. It, it was about twenty years ago. I moved away from mainstream employment, mainstream contracting, into consultancy. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was year two thousand, so twenty twenty one years. Okay. The, the tail end of my mainstream employment was for a main contractor as a built environment business improvement. Manager, director. Okay. Just trying to remember what titles I had in the past. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'd, I'd realised the service I was, I was giving, I, I could give wider than just through a main contractor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took the plunge. Year two thousand became a uh, self-employed. Was was that the first time you you had sort of sustainability in the title, or when when did that come in? Sustainability was something. One of the reasons I wanted to to, to move into independence. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, it was probably more focused in environmental management within the context of business improvement uh-huh. and sustainability as a yeah a, a wider regenerative planet saving, carbon reducing, <laughs> yeah, all, all those sort of things. Yes. Um, so yeah, it was around sort of fourteen thousand and one environmental management, and then slowly that's morphed into where we are today, which is a real focus on regenerative. And f- firmly believe we no longer have the luxury to continue just reducing impact mm-hmm. and we need to do far much more. Well, yeah, I mean, regenerative uh, is a word I think will come up a lot today. So why don't you give a give a sort of definition of, of what that means, sort of certainly within the, the built environment? Yeah, as, as I say, no longer have the luxury just to reduce impact. Um, There's a sustainability definition I hooked onto a while back. It came from Yvonne Schoenard at uh, Patagonia. Mm-hmm. We we shouldn't be using the word sustainability until we're giving as much, if not more, back than than we take. Yeah. Um, so that that could be from the environment, from nature, from people we work with, from communities we work in. Yeah, we can't just keep taking, 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 and actually having that balance is not the right thing. Mm-hmm. So we we need to push up forward. And my view on regenerative it is giving back more than we take. Okay. Uh, um. And. Yeah, over decades, especially built environment, we haven't been good on the environment. We haven't been good on communities. Mm-hmm. So there's a sort of idea that we we have to heal things as well. We have to heal the future. Another expression I use. Yeah. Um, so any, anything we really do should be have that doing better, doing yeah. more good aspect to it. Uh, Lucy Pedler from uh, the Green Register. She. Um, when she gives a talk, she says, you know, sustainable is something that we can keep doing forever. 
you know, it's not depleting anything. And so you're sort of talking about going one stage further and instead of not depleting and, and staying in equilibrium, we're actually giving back. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And that, that cropped up in some reading over the weekend, actually, when um, reading about net zero carbon, mm-hmm. whether net zero carbon is actually the, the right thing to be focusing on at the moment. Okay. And it should be zero carbon. Uh, net zero carbon is just going to keep them the same amount of carbon in the atmosphere. But we have to be more regenerative and do, do better things. Yeah. Let's come back to that, that sort of net yeah, zero sure. point. Yeah, sure. Yeah, jumping around. But yeah. no, no, it's okay. I find the idea of, a, a, say, a building that is giving back, I find that a bit of a, a mind-bending sort of concept to grasp, I guess. Um, sort of knowing you know, all, the, all the materials that we put into a building uh, – you and all the processes that have gone to making them, how they could possibly be, be sort of, uh, you know, a positive impact rather than a negative one. People often often ask for is examples of how a building can be mm. re- regenerative. Um, and there's a few I, I cite. There's within the living building challenge, for example, within the energy panel. We'll come to living building challenge, I'm sure, in yes, more detail yeah. later. But there's a requirement to produce 105% of the energy the building requires without using fossil fuels, or rather without uh, combustion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that extra 5% can be used for additional items. Okay. And yeah, through renewables, it's easy to produce more than we, we need for an individual building. Mm-hmm. And that could supply local buildings, roundabouts. It could yeah, be stored for future use. Yeah. I guess where I get stuck is that... Uh, say solar panels, you know, they contain precious metals, don't they? Which are, uh, you know, non-renewable. How how do you sort of uh, where's the justification in that? I know, I know, I don't imagine that there's any one perfect system, but uh, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my view on that, but you're quite right. There's no one perfect system, I and mean, we we need to live with these. Um, the, 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 in some ways, the, the harm caused by the, the chemicals in the solar panels is small compared to the the, the harm done by fossil fuels, for example. Mm-hmm. And if we were to put the the research and development funding into producing less toxic solar yes. panels, as we've done into the fossil fuel industry, then we'll get there faster. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. This. And again, with Limbo and Challenge, there's sort of exemptions for that. It's very hot on um, keeping toxic materials out of buildings. Yeah. But it appreciates at the moment we don't have the technology. Uh, but through things like that, you know, we can force the hand and yeah. create I, I, a demand for better. Uh, yeah. I, I, I suppose acknowledging that that's a, uh, a sort of sticking point is, is a good way of getting it you dealt with sooner you know, rather than just pretending it's yeah. it's the, the solution yeah and at the same time though yeah we, we can be uh, much better at designing for a lower energy demand mm-hmm. our lifestyles within buildings can be better at um, using energy um okay uh so well where was i gonna start well first of all uh congratulations on being a, a finalist in the yeah, like, like likewise to yourself. Um, <laughs> how how did you find um, that whole sort of experience? I mean, I almost called it a competition then, but I didn't really feel like it was a competition. No, I, no, um, I, I would agree. I didn't see it as a competition. I'm de- delighted to be in, in the finalists and delighted to um, share during the award session. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that the, the delight came from being able to promote. Um, what we're doing with Zoom Regenerative, where we've got to, yeah, which started as a, a very little project. I think it would last for a couple of months or so, and it's not, you know, it got gone on for, for a year. Yeah, and that um, was in direct response to the the lockdown, was it? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. O- over the recent years, I spent a lot of time um, organizing events, organizing speakers, speaking at events, etc. I, I'd see it as one of my key advocacy type things. Uh, yeah, just get, let's keep talking and sharing these things. Mm-hmm. And then when the lockdown came around, it sort of made sense to move that onto on, onto an online platform, and we, we ended up on Zoom. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, and at, at the same time, there, there are other, a few other things happening, particularly that article in um, the Financial Times by Amadati Roy, 
who compares the pandemic as a portal. That's mm-hmm. nice. We need to really know, know what's happening around the world in terms of what's good. Yeah. To be able to you know, push forward with, with that. So is it a very uh, conscious decision to be a, a sort of global thing then? Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're, we're pretty good through other means of sharing what's happening within the UK. Mm-hmm. The, the numerous forums and yeah, most of those were on the uh, in the finalists, uh, long finalists, long list or, or, or shortlist, including your podcast series. What we don't really do is learn too much from around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really wanted to balance what we were doing in the UK with what's happening in Costa Rica and New Zealand or, or, or wherever. Yeah, yeah. I saw that fascinating one a couple of weeks back from the, uh, the person in Egypt and the work they're doing. Oh, sorry, yeah. I've forgotten that name. Yeah, Amira. That's it course yeah. yeah well i suppose as you're saying that that the idea of a portal because it, the, the lockdown did in some ways open up you know the, the being able to get people from around the world without having to go through the, the moral dilemma of do we fly them over here for a, a conference yeah so what what sort of people have you have you had on who have been your your guest speakers all sorts all ages all all aspects i mean what we well, what I set out to do, and I've, I've got a few people helping me, like uh, Anna Williamson, etc. Mm-hmm. What, what we really want to do is just mash everything up. Um, so it, it was brilliant to bring someone who's talking about mainstream mainstream design, also with someone talking about biking in Seattle, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, because the clash of those two ideas, which you probably wouldn't necessarily relate straight away within a a normal conference or a normal event, yeah, yeah, they just led to some wonderful discussions. And often totally unrelated to the, the, the first two presentations. Yeah. So that they act as sort of a catalyst for, for, for thinking and for, for sharing ideas. And I think because of the people who've sort of dropped in to share their insights, not really the key focus, they're brilliant. And yeah, that's the, but it's the conversation, the community, which is built up around that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, that was one of the things that really struck me. Because uh, I, I sort of saw what we were doing as, as quite similar in terms of you know, looking at sustainability with quite a you know, wide lens. Uh, but then the real difference was that that conversation. And the, and I suddenly realized quite how little feedback I get from the podcast. Whereas, yeah. you know, you, you were creating like a little bubble of, of discussion. It was really you know, fantastic to be part of. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, We've we've had a number of sort of cluster of um, topics, especially around Latin America and Costa Rica, uh, with, with with Victor in Costa Rica doing some amazing things down there. Um, and here, hearing about a, a city in Costa Rica, um, Curedabat, I think it's pronounced, which is yeah, a totally biophilic city, mm-hmm. um, where where they've given citizen rights to pollinators. Right. Okay. And citizen rights or human rights to land features like rivers, and yeah, re- realizing that success of what we do, mm-hmm. um, either from a well-being or a business point of view, depends on on, on nature to let them bring. Yeah. And then we had another cluster of um, sessions from Australia and New Zealand, which really dug down into the concept of place and the importance of place, mm-hmm. especially to Indigenous people, and the whole history of that, which is something we're only starting to get to grips with here in the UK. You don't really have a, a sense of place. You know, you're saying you're disconnected from land, mm-hmm. <laughs> physically disconnected in this case, but yeah, I think most of us are. Yeah. Um, and our buildings reinforce that. You know, little in a, a building anchors it in that place. Yes. Biophilic is, is one of those terms that somehow has uh, escaped me for, for quite a long time. And then just at the beginning of uh, sometime last year, I, I heard it. And then it's one of those things where I, I'm now seeing it everywhere I look. Um, and that's as well as, as sort of placing yourself in natural surroundings. It's sort of giving you a view of natural surroundings and, and really making you part of it, if, if I'm understanding it correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I was thinking a lot about how we, all the, the sort of standard houses that, that I've ever lived in, where that was... You know, it was very much a separation from nature, um, so the the opposite. Yeah, indeed. And, and I think we're starting to to learn a lot about that. And it, it, you're right; it's it's under the uh, the tag of biophilia, yeah. mm-hmm. L- love of nature, love of life, etc. Uh, we we are sort of 
go, going deeper into you know, how does nature actually make us feel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how does that view make us feel? Or if there's no view in nature, how, how do we feel about that? Yeah. yeah. So we've got that uh, sort of compassion thing going on. You know, what are we actually sensing? Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're sensing change in temperatures. Are we sensing change in light? You know, it's okay, Jim. Um, change, changing of light during, during the day. Yeah. Uh, rather than just having greenery around and views out onto uh, nice pastures and mm-hmm. fields. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting uh, because you're, in your last uh, session, there was John Renwick, was that his name? Yeah. Sorry, I'm terrible with names today. Um, he was talking about uh, Ayurvedic architecture. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm designing my tiny house at the moment and he was talking about the way you know you place certain buildings in certain uh ugh, come on words orientation <laughs> orientation yes there you go uh <laughs> so so you know your sort of kitchen will be in the in the east and then your sitting room in the west and that's relating to the, the different light coming around during the day um and uh yeah i found it fascinating because in my designs that i've got for my house i'd always had it completely flipped and and it was a, a very simple process to say oh well actually yes i want the the morning light there in the kitchen when i'm making my breakfast uh, and you know I, and i've i've just flipped the whole whole design based on on that that conversation so that's brilliant brilliant and that that was a, an i for me i'd sort of been aware of that too or um, architecture for a while, but just as a concept, somewhere hidden in the depths of uh, you know architectural schools, <laughs> dusty mm-hmm. books. Um, so it, it, it was it was good to, to hear from John. Um, and I just wonder how many people were thinking he was just speaking. It does my desk face east? <laughs> Which way round do I sleep? <laughs> what, 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 yeah, how, how does that apply? So yeah, that, that was good. And I, I was particularly pleased at the end of that session where um, yeah, Daryl from from Trinidad was able to share that that project. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned, I used to live there, so that, that was a real nice little banker. But um, and I, I hope to get the architect back from um, back back onto Zoom Regenerative to, to go into more detail about the design of that. Yeah, because the the connection between Vastu and Living Building Challenge it, it could be pretty mind blowing. In mm. fact, someone commented um, after the session saying that that could be a dream, <laughs> yeah, a, a dream way forward. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, yeah, and yeah that. Sort of leads on to, to to other things, which have immersed through Zim regenerative and this uh, sort of different different level of uh, awareness of our of our place, not just within nature but in the universe, which is yeah you know, the, the meditation thing John was talking about, mm-hmm. yeah, and how we've blocked all those um those energies, yeah, and that sort of pops up in a lot of the Zim uh, regenerative sessions, uh, with people you know, either practice mindfulness or TM or, or, or something along the way. Mm-hmm. Which gives them a totally different view on uh, on on their designs and the way they go, they go about their business. How uh, how how do you think it's going to develop the, the Zoom regenerative? Good question. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're going to be coming out of lockdown, you know, starting to get the vaccination program one underway. We're actually actually doing something right around the uh, <laughs> yeah. pandemic at the moment. Um, but yeah, the, the world's going to be hybrid. It's going to be different, very different to what it was before. I think there's there's still a place uh, for things like Zoom regenerative and podcasts, etc. I think people have now got used to soaking up knowledge and joining in conversations, engaging without having to travel to London or to the nearest city to do mm-hmm. so. Um, <clears throat> in fact, you can spend all your time twenty four seven just engaged in web webinars, conferences, etc. So, yeah. Um, yeah, certainly a place. We we we, <clears throat> we were thinking about the the name Zoom. Yeah, is that right to be attached to a platform? Um, Someone did point out. Well, it's actually about accelerating regenerative. Yeah. So zooming forward into the future. Yeah, and also sort of zooming into the you know looking at it and, in and likewise zooming into detail. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, so we'll probably keep that, but trying to get some strap lines around it. But one thing that emerged over the last few months, so people said they love the conversation, but sometimes feel that they can't really enjoy join in because they don't have the basics. Mm-hmm. 
And so we talk about living the challenge, we talk about circular economy, we talk about donuts, we, we talk about all sorts of things on a regular basis. Um, so people are asking for, you know, where would I go to get a very simple 45 minutes tutorial on, on the basics, you know, ecology 101 sort of thing. Yeah. So we are, we're looking to do that. Oh, excellent. And may pull back in some of the speakers in the past and say, okay, this is not a sharing of insights. This is not a sort of conversational thing. This is, okay, yeah, go for it on a presentation webinar approach. And just put the facts over. <clears throat> but at the same time, we want to keep that sort of friendly conversational bit within there. Mm-hmm. So that there will be a chance to, to, to question and to, uh, to dig deeper. Great. So that, that, that's, that's, that's one way where, where it's going. Um, that there was another request which we need, we need to explore later in the year. That, uh, we, we should have book authors yep. as guests. Um, so the, the idea of a, a book club where we, we would look at a particular book and then invite that author in for a Q&A. Mm-hmm. And we can, we can continue to do that through Zoom around the world, even though we may be back to work on a building site or on a, in, in an office. Yes. Well, I've somehow, I mean, I've really enjoyed having, you know, that, that time to look forward to, uh, you know, sort of putting it in my diary and and, and having an evening uh, event. And at the moment, I can't see it being any different as, as sort of life moves on. But then I'm also aware that we're, we're not particularly good at imagining <laughs> you know, the, the life beyond what we're experiencing right now. Yeah, indeed. I, I, I don't think we're that good imagining the sort of future we want anyway mm-hmm. you know, we're struggling to see past covid yeah you know, um and how quickly we can get past if, if we ever do i think it's going to be living with Seems coronavirus be, rather than getting past it mm-hmm. but um yeah I, I i don't think we necessarily know what good looks like in terms of where we're going with the built environment climate mm-hmm. change and ecological crisis etc yeah, um, and if we can't really imagine what the future is going to be like, we're going to have trouble getting there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean that's uh, sort of the really powerful thing that Rob Hopkins does. Uh, yeah, yeah, where he gets gets everyone to imagine that that we've solved all the problems and what what does it actually feel like, and then using that as a starting point to sort of go back and and see the changes we need to make. We've actually done that with one or two uh, online sessions. Actually, oh, yeah. we did it with a real life session before the pandemic through a European program that I ran. Mm-hmm. Um, or not Brown, sorry, was was involved in, but uh, yeah, the, 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 it's been a four year program um, under the name of Restore, rethinking sustainability towards a regenerative economy. A nice little uh, expression. Um, so, what, what would happen if someone picked up all that material? From, yeah, research, uh, four years of research around the around Europe, and actually put it into practice. Mm-hmm. What would that city look like in ten, twenty years time? And uh, we, we do struggle. Definitely. A lot, lot of head scratching going on. <laughs> so there, there seems to be quite a lot of changes happening at the moment um, through a sort of range of from sort of grassroots up. Um, what, what are you seeing at the moment that's, that's sort of exciting and, uh, and really and working for you? It, it, it's just that's actually gra- grassroots up. What I find r- really exciting are things like Architect Declare, um, Haken, um some of the work that Scott McCall is doing with the Anthropocene mm-hmm. School, you can you can see people sort of stepping outside of the established institutions, establishments, etc., and started to do things for themselves, particularly around energy in London with Letty, the London Energy Transformation mm-hmm. Initiative, uh, which has now become sort of adopted, as I understand, by by many clients and, and projects. So I think there's a sense we cannot wait for legislation. We cannot wait for um, regulations and codes, etc. We need to put, push on and do that. Mm-hmm. And that it really is a, a grassroots approach. Yeah. At the, at the other end, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing contractors and developers really sort of pushing forward, with, especially on, on carbon and ecology issues. Yeah. Um, running way ahead of building regulations or, or, or code around the world. And that, that, that's all very encouraging. Yeah. Yes. Um, at the same time, though, I think our language, you know, we talk about zero carbon, net zero carbon. You know, there, there are hunting definitions and, and labels for that. You know, the difference between carbon positive and carbon ne- negative mm-hmm. is a uh, 
depends who you talk to, very sort of nuanced difference. Right. Um, and I think there's a danger that will enable people to hide behind those labels. Mm-hmm. Is it sort of becoming the new the new green badge? You know, this is a green product. This is um, exactly. Yeah. 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 Because they, they they can find a niche within all these labels and tags. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we're doing that. That means we're carbon neutral or carbon zero, whatever. Yeah. And so, what are what are the differences? You mentioned there's a, a difference between net zero and zero carbon. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, this is something I've just 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 been looking at really, and because I'm I'm writing something at the end of that um, European thing, what 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 is the difference? It, it struck me, yeah, to to really count as carbon reduction, it has to be taking carbon out of the atmosphere mm-hmm. and taking it away. So I'm either not emitting it in the first place, or t- taking it out and reducing the amount which which exists, locking yeah. it away in. In vegetation and soils and and yeah, and this is something that I'm exploring. But yeah, I don't think maybe net zero is doing that. Yeah, you know, is net zero just keeping us a, a balance of what's already out there? Because we're just offsetting one way or another, mm-hmm. or, or reducing that which we emit. Um, there was a, there was a uh, interesting debate last week over Mark Carney, okay, ex governor to Bank of England. Now a um, a COP twenty six advisor to to our prime minister, and mm-hmm. um, one of the uh, organisations he heads up has declared themselves to be um, net zero, net, net zero carbon. Yeah, um, and they, they've done that done just through purchasing right. renewable companies. So okay. you, you you've got a fossil fuel emitting company. You buy a renewable company. You can use something about something called avoidable avoided emissions. Mm-hmm. So, had that renewable company been a fossil fuel industry, it would have been X carbon. Now we're talking about Y carbon because it's it's much less. Yeah. So you can use that to offset the dirty stuff you were doing before. Mm. Now that's yeah, we're, we're talking mega bucks. I think it was uh, six hundred million tons of carbon a year. And so, if we all went down that route, we all did that. Then we're just not going to take carbon out of the atmosphere. We're just going to play around with numbers. Yeah. So I haven't articulated that too, too well. But um, yeah, I think that the bottom line we need to be taking carbon out of the atmosphere. That's, yeah. And that there are means where, where we we can hide behind the words to not do that. <laughs> yes. Actually, I, I just mentioned something which um, I'm, I'm also thinking is the, the key thing. What if everyone did that? Yeah. Yeah. So for for for, for good or, or for bad. Yeah, if we scaled that up to every business doing that, is that good or is that bad? Yeah, that, that's interesting. I just went through that same thought process. Uh, I saw a presentation uh, where a chap was talking about the, the palette he was using uh, was all from the local area uh, and it included South Downs chalk. And I thought, yeah, that's good. You know, chalk, nice natural material. But what if everyone was doing that? Are we then just depleting all the chalk you know mining it out of the out of the earth oh, and then i went around in circles of, you know, what's uh, oh goodness it's, it's hard work it, it, it is um which is why we, we we need sort of structures to to, to guide us um the structure i'm, I'm using promoting is the living building challenge and those mm-hmm. sort of things that the, 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 there are others but um i, I think the lbc is, is quite um quite good on it on its scope yeah robustness but if we don't have those sort of structures then we're we're, help, we're taking the old scattergun approach yeah. let's reduce carbon because everybody else is doing it it's a thing to be doing not sure why we're doing it <laughs> yeah it's you know, let's just jump jump in and do something yeah let's go and plant trees and we, we need some sort of uh yeah structure yeah 
Well, yeah, let, let's chat more about the Living Building Challenge because it's uh, well, what what is it? Yeah, it, it, it describes itself as a bit full in three things. Firstly, it's a philosophy uh, of looking at the way we build in a different way, in a way which is um, attuned with nature mm-hmm. um, and attuned with um, cultural issues and you know, social issues. In fact, the strap line is looking for a future which is um, socially just, culturally rich, and ecologically uh, robust, which Fantastic. is quite a nice yeah. thing to be forward. So it's a philosophy of getting people to do, think differently. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it's advocacy that, um, yeah, we, we should be sharing all, all this um, as wide as we can. And I forget who it was said just recently, might have been Attenborough, that the best thing we can do in the climate emergency debate is talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's quite nice. And so, uh, I, I like that. And then thirdly, it's a certification scheme yeah, for those who want re- recognition for what they've been doing. Yeah. Um, uh, it's administered through ILFI, International Living Futures Institute, based in in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's based in the Bullet Center, which has the claim um, to, to be the greenest commercial building in the world. Uh-huh. It's a claim it doesn't really want because it wants others to do better than that. <laughs> yeah, um, the current. But, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so that's in many ways the flagship of the Living Challenge. But within there, there, there are a number of programs within the ILFI suite. Mm-hmm. There's the Living Building Challenge. There's a Living Community Challenge, uh, which can be to look at a sort of a cluster of, 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 of buildings, uh-huh. typically used in smaller states, um, university campuses, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the, the Living Product Challenge, which goes the other way, sort of zooms into the, the, the macro and looks at the, the products which are going into, into buildings. So that, I mean, you're really looking at, at all the levels there, aren't you? Sort of the products in the buildings, the buildings themselves, and the buildings within a, a development or, yeah. It, a... Exactly. And then around that, there are a number of other uh, little programs which all link together. So one is called Declare, which is about um, declaring the transparency of materials, mm-hmm. where it's come from, how it's used, where it's going to go. And what it contains. Yeah. So that's a, a very powerful one. That's based on one of the um, elements from the Living Building Challenge called the Red List. Yes. Which is a red list of 20 plus um, materials which are known to cause harm to humans or harm, harm to the environment. So okay. they're prohibited. And are they, are they things which in a very sort of conventional house you might find absolutely all over the place really I mean, you, you've got in, in there you you, you have the uh, the ones you'd expect the asbestos lead etc mm-hmm. but um the, the red list also looks at pvcs and plastic derivatives it looks at formaldehydes um the lattes yeah so many are, are in homes we've built and still continue to build and, mm-hmm. and you know, all buildings um either in the uh, construction materials or in the, the, the furniture and the finishings that uh, yeah. we may be putting into, into buildings. So Declare is a, uh, it's likened to a, a food label like you'd see on a pot of yogurt. Mm-hmm. So you, it, it doesn't say one's bad, one's good. It, it does by implication, but you can make a choice. Um, you, know, you might want something with more fat because you, <laughs> that's what you want. So that's a yogurt yes. you'll choose. Yeah. So it enables you to choose a yeah, a building product. Yeah, I guess people have different different demands, don't they? Different. You know, I want uh, an entirely non toxic house. I want a super low energy house. I want a, a low uh, upfront carbon house. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And, and then also depending on the uh, the ventilation system you put into a house, whether it's an existing building with lots of ventilation, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, an old home. You could probably bring in furniture which contains a little. Yes. And yeah. Then often it's down to, to cost, but at least it's given you another choice item mm-hmm. to, to, to make that choice. Excellent. Yeah. And um, the, the other little program in that, it's not little, it's quite significant, is one called Just. Yeah. Um, J U S T, um, which is you know, how an organization is just in the way it goes about its business. And so that, that covers a, um, it's very much like the, uh, the, the B Corp and the other programs mm-hmm. which looks at the stewardship of a or the, the approach of a, a company towards stewardship of the environment how it uh-huh. looks after its people 
how it relates to uh, human rights. Excellent. So demanding sort of solid. But the, 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 the core of the living building challenge is um, it, 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 it takes its metaphor from uh, from nature, mm-hmm. it's firmly based on it, and um, it consists of seven petals. Uh, again, with the, the metaphor of you know, a, a flower. Um, so, uh, in, in theory, how you can practice a, a building you know, sort of thrives in its location mm-hmm. um, without fossil fuels, with, without um, you know, too much external input. So, it, it pulls resources from the ground. It pulls resource, energy from the from the sun and from the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, very much tuned into its place. Um, it's toxic free. It's equity and has a degree of beauty. So the, the, the seven petals. One is place, which is all around the ecology, mm-hmm. um, human and nature-based design. Um, then we have um, energy, which is looking at the uh, the, the carbon element, mm-hmm. but also the um, where, where 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 you're getting your energy from on a net zero basis. Is that energy in use, or is that energy? for construction and both we're looking at embodied carbon and we're looking at um embodied um, energy mm-hmm. and energy in use and as i said earlier there's a requirement under five percent without any combustion and then there's a, a similar requirement on water that the, the building has to take all its water from natural sources mm-hmm. uh, ideally rain but uh, yeah could be lo- local water of course but ideally, that, that system should still be operating the same way as if the building wasn't there. Okay. So the building's just borrowing the water. Got you. So you can harvest, use it, clean it, put it back into the aquifers. Uh-huh. And there's a nice analogy with, with, with trees which do just that. Yeah. It cleans the water, which, or the water which falls onto it, and use, takes what it, it needs and puts the rest back into the aquifer for trees roundabouts. Yeah. So, so we need to be do, doing the same there. Excellent. And then we, we, materials is the, the one people really struggle with, mm-hmm. just keeping those red list materials out. But there's a huge amount of uh, material tracking to be done. Yeah. In terms of distance, there's, there's restrictions on where you can get materials from, restrictions on the, on the red list. And there, there's a, a waste requirement that we should be using more waste materials, recycled content materials back into our buildings. Okay. The circular economy approach. So using waste materials back in. I'm all, that's always a, an interesting one for me because I, I look at uh, some of the sort of loft insulations, which is sort of plastic bottles that have been, you know, sort of spun into a fibre, and I think that's great that it's, you know, it's it's taking back that material, but then also health benefits of living with plastic. You, know, it's that that sort of finding your own personal balance, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, exactly. Um, one the other pedal I was just going to move on to is the, the health and happiness pattern, mm-hmm. which looks at air quality. Yeah. You know, so you have to maintain a, a, a level, a recognised level of, of air quality. Okay. Um, and uh, often it's the off-gassing from whatever chemicals in insulation, etc., which is going to uh, mm-hmm. maintain that. Yes, I've been re- I've been doing a lot of research uh, about uh, sort of flame retardants and things like that in in sofas in uh, mattresses. And you know the flame retardants are incredibly chemical things that yeah. don't even really stop it burning. They just stop it burning quite so fast, don't they? Exactly. And and when they burn, cool. they release even more chemicals. <laughs> and of course, this all relates to the greenfield, which is a whole other uh, scenario. Yeah. What, what what we're what we're learning from from there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just to go through the the, the petals, the the, the 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 materials petal. Mm-hmm. People find. The, the trickiest um, because of the level of tracking required for most materials yep. um, to, to come into the building. Um, and the unpreparedness of our material supply chains okay. a, a, around the world. You know, we do have the, uh, the, the good non-toxic materials, but they're, they're difficult to get hold of at its scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's an issue. Um, yeah, health and happiness is a... Uh, yeah, um, it's, it's around comfort inside the building, but also yeah, yeah, the um, rights of uh, access to nature. Mm-hmm. But those type of things. And the, is that happiness? Happiness is a, a difficult thing to quantify, isn't it? How is it? it exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a nice thing to throw, isn't it? Uh, yeah, health and happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If, if we are creating uh, wonderful buildings, which are 
regenerative and they're sustainable and all those things, then yeah, what one of the key measures should be yeah, happy, content, and healthy um, yeah. you know, set of users. Um, and I was just hesitating on which word to use that because the Live and Build Challenge refers to people who live, work, and play in buildings as uh, inhabitants mm-hmm. rather than occupants. Okay. They're, not, they're not just passively occupying a space, that they're yeah, in, interactive, um, active yeah. agents. Um, so their involvement in the building, in the ecosystem of a building, is really important. And it shied away from using um, end users. Yeah. Yeah, because we. Yeah, an end user, someone just uses the building to the end. Yeah, there's a, a circular. Yes, it's very soulless as well, isn't it? End yeah, user. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, the final petal is the uh, beauty petal. Mm. Um, it's beauty and inspiration, really. And, and in there is all the biophilia. Yeah. It's uh, one of the uh, the requirements. I think it's the only standard to do so to, to, to date, to make a biophilic workshop. This is a kickoff workshop for a project. Yeah. That is the, uh, that's a mandatory requirement at the outset of a project and what does that what does that entail that typically would entail bringing all project stakeholders together so the, the, the architects the designers the clients um, as far as as wide as you can make them mm-hmm. and then just explore you know how, how is this building going to have a relationship with nature yeah and how's that going to work and that goes back to what we were just talking about bash two, it's orientation it's views it's you know it's moving through through that yeah and there's some really good guides to help you through. Um, there was one on there that I don't know if we, we've mentioned, but equity. Yep. I, what, I, I don't know if I fully understand what that means in that, that context. Well, t- two things. that um, Equality and equity within the, the, the project um, individuals. Um, so we, in the UK, we'd probably put the um, modern slavery issues into there and the way we go about constructing. Uh-huh. Um, and, and indeed, how... how how the building um, sort of is put into use, and then we have the DDA and all the access issues as well. Yeah. So it's like a CSI for individual companies, which is where the Just program I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. comes in. But it's also around the building itself. Yeah, is the building equitable? Um, so it, how does it relate to its local community? Or is it just put them like a fortress and no one's allowed into it? I see. Yes. As um, City of London was and probably still is. In, in, places mm-hmm. or is it uh, yeah open to uh, open to all great um so there was a few things in there that i wanted to sort of drill down in a bit more i mean mostly because so i am um, well i downloaded the the standard that's uh, available on the on the website because i was interested you know i'm building this this tiny house and i thought oh i wonder if you know what i can uh, learn and um and you know implement and and so the water one was one that really leapt out at me because it's something I've never thought of. You know, in okay. my mind, it's always you get water from the mains. You know, it goes back into the the waste system. Yep. You know, that is the way it's done. What you know, I it didn't even occur to me that there was any sort of um, issue with that. And then it's led me onto a, a you know down a rabbit hole of looking at all these sort of water filtration systems and uh, and how I, I could I could be self reliant in that way. But I wondered um, the sort of the the systems that you're using with filters and such uh, seem to be scaled down versions of the, the sort of industrial water treatment. Um, it, is there an argument for doing things on on mass? Um, being a more efficient way of doing things. Yes, possibly. I, I would say it's a balance between the two, doing things locally and doing things en masse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we have a very different view on, on water here in the UK mm-hmm. as to many other places which is water stressed around the world. Yeah, and this is a global so, um, uh, thing, isn't it? Living building challenge. That, 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 that's right, yeah. So, but I think even in the UK, yeah, new developments, especially housing developments, put a huge amount of stress on, on water. Mm-hmm. And we, we we are wasting so much water, and within the, the sort of the wider context of you know, it's a, it is a uh, is it an infinite and finite uh, supply? Um, but we, we we do spend a lot of money and a lot of energy and chemicals etc. on mm-hmm. cleaning water, which we don't use because it goes straight through the tap and down the plug hole. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Flushing our toilet with the most beautiful water. Exactly. <laughs> 
So we we can take a much more responsible approach to uh, to to the, to the use of water. But at the same time, you know, we we have more water falling on the UK than than each individual house needs. Yeah, the water it falls onto a, a home is, is more than that. That means that makes sense to to, to use some of it if we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can harvest that. We can use it for, for grey water. Yeah, uh, through toilets, etc. And um, that the, there is a requirement in the Liverpool Challenge that we're one hundred percent. And this, that technology is in, is improving. That we we can cleanse water. Yeah. So that that hundred percent is including drinking water. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There are exemptions because of various local laws. Mm-hmm. The the the, the Liverpool Challenge project here here in the UK, the one in in. Um, in, in Lancashire, the Curden Valley project, yeah, harvests as much water as it can, and that that's used back through the uh, the WCs. Uh, but because it's a um, a catering outlet, in essence, you know, to, to produce drinking water, raises another less level of uh, of permissions of authority or, uh, and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you've mentioned that one. How many? Um, well, globally, how many sort of living building challenge uh, buildings are there? And yeah. and sort of in the UK as well. So there are different levels of um, certification. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a, a full living certification, which is all the petals and all, all the components, I, I think we're about 500 around the world at the moment. Right. But then we, we have far more, uh, which have just gone for various petal certifications or the carbon certification. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't know how many of those are around the world without checking. But then in the UK, we have um, two construction projects. One has completed, the one in Lancashire I mentioned, and one down in, in Devon, which is a, a residential building, mm-hmm. which is just about c- c- completing at the moment. Um, and then we have a, a net zero carbon with the net zero um, ILFIs program, mm-hmm. which is the Google headquarters in London. Okay. They're the ones which actually get through to being construction projects. Um, we, we have countless number of uh, people using elements from um, the living building challenge within everyday everyday projects. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably helping and consulting or provocateering on a, a number of projects, uh, which don't go all the way through to registration. Mm-hmm. But having that that dialogue with these people, they say, okay, we can use that. We can use that. We might not go for the whole full suite. Yeah. So we're, we're slowly changing the way we, we, we do things. Great. Is it? I mean, is there? Well, there's a few different. Uh, certification programs of within the UK. Uh, how does how does the Living Building Challenge compare to to those? Oh, it's a question I always get asked. You know, how, how does it compare to Brian Lead and, yeah. and all the others? And I I don't like necessarily to uh, compare mm-hmm. because I think that they all have their own individual requirements. Of course. Yeah. Um, but if if anything, I'd say the Living Building Cha- Challenge takes off where the others get to the, the end of the, the scale. Mm-hmm. So this would literally be a chance to take off where where Brian gets really difficult. That's, that's, that's the fun side of things. Sustainability is not easy. It's, it needs to be a, a challenge. We need to think differently. Yeah. Um, interestingly, um, the RIBA, Reba, have just produced, I think last year produced their uh, sustainability outcomes for their new uh, Reba plan of work. Mm-hmm. And within there, there's a very useful guide as to which of the existing standards would actually help a project or you know, a client move forward on those RIBA sustainability outcomes. Mm-hmm. And the Living Room Challenge fares very well. In fact, yeah, it, it is the best performing uh, to hit all the top topics. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult to compare them in terms of, um, yeah, is one more difficult than the other? I think the, 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 the scope is really the thing to look at. Yeah. Um, and the Limbo Challenge is probably more more uh, robust and a wider scope. To, th- th- there's a, a good number of um, sort of crossovers now between the various standards mm-hmm. um, or, or crosswalks, as they become called. So if you should be pursuing Bram, well, so that's one, that one's not quite there. But if you're pursuing lead, um, how far away are you in also picking up a, a, a Limbo Building Challenge tag? Or what would you have to do additional? What's missing? Right. Um, if, if that's important to you. Um, and s- some of those crossovers have become commonplace. And I guess like the red list is now used by LEED. The red list is now used by the well-built standard. Mm-hmm. And I think DECLARE 
as a, a verification route is now used by many standards and, and clients actually. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I consider myself to be um, you know, fairly well versed in sustainable building practices and, you know, was pleasantly surprised by some of the sections in the, in the standard that, you know, pushed me to, to think further about, about sustainability and about, you know, how we can do, be designing better. I uh, first heard about it probably 10 years ago. Um, I saw Chris Magwood talk um, about his his project that he'd done and uh, and tried to get it certified. Uh, and it seems like it's it's come a long way since then. I think 10 years ago, he was saying there was only you know, a, a few successful um, buildings. Um, and he was, it seems like some of the, the issues he talked about uh, seem to have uh, been sort of worked out. I've, I was quite pleased to see that it, it seems like it's an ever-evolving you know, document that, that's you know, learning and, and feeding back. Yeah, very much so. Um, all registered projects go through uh, or have access to something called a, a dialogue. Because mm-hmm. um, Living Build Chance doesn't say in, in all cases, this is how you do it, this is what you must be doing. So there's new, numerous routes to achieving mm-hmm. the, the imperatives. Um, so there's a dialogue with, with a various bunch of experts, um, mostly based across in Seattle, but now around the world. Mm-hmm. So you can have that dialogue with this work, with this pass, you know, come up with this new idea. And then periodically all those dialogue conversations are reviewed and then the challenge is updated. Um, we're now on version 4.0, which is uh, released in 2019. When I started looking at Living Building Challenge back in uh, 2011, 2012, I say, we're on version two. And it's gone, yeah, 2.1, 3, 3.1, 3.2, et cetera. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's moved forward. Is it, um, oh, well, I'm thinking of this purely personally. I was thinking, well, maybe I can do my building, certify my building in some way. Um, so uh, what what's the, the sort of process for, for doing that? Well, first thing, yes, you should. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even though it's it's a movable home. I don't know yeah, if I could. Yeah. The, the place element becomes a bit difficult then. That's right. There are ways of looking at that. Um, yeah, I, I should actually also um, flag out for, for smaller buildings and as a, a way into Living Building Challenge um, last year, year before, LFI released something called CORE, mm-hmm. C-O-R-E, uh, which takes out the, 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 in the four Living Building Challenge, there, there are um, 20 imperatives. So CORE just takes 10, 10 of those. 10 key ones uh-huh. as a halfway has to, uh, to, to help, help you get them. Um, so typically the uh, the procedure is for you to, to register. Um, and most people have great ambitions you know, that will register for the, the, the full certificate and use that then as the structure and the driving mm-hmm. framework to, 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 to go and cover everything. Yeah, And then I think as the design develops, as construction develops, they realize, well, okay, maybe somewhere outside of our uh, remit uh, we don't have the responsibility or influence to be able to do that mm-hmm. or that's just too difficult for what the project may be so the uh, those who don't go for the living then drop it back to, to either a petal certification or the core certification mm-hmm. excellent but it's um yeah well one of the other things that chris said uh, in that talk was that uh they they pretty much considered it a full-time job for someone to be doing all the research and yeah it was so they had to have one person taken away from the, the build site from the, the day-to-day business just to to research all of the things do you think that's that's still the case or is it as more is happening there's more more information out there there's more information out there and uh, that's not necessarily a fault of the lbc mm-hmm. um it's uh, yeah, yeah as, as i said earlier in many ways the supply chain at scale is not quite ready to do this type of regenerative building uh-huh. but uh, we, we should really know what goes into in, into our buildings in terms of material tracking mm-hmm. um, I, th- I think all, all the other stuff around the uh, living build challenge most architects have got a handle on anyway yeah we, we've got the technology and we've got the thinking yeah it's, it's not that often we bring it together and have a client who can afford to bring it all together right yeah but, um yeah that tracking, which you mentioned, which Chris probably mentioned, is something that everybody mentions. 
You really need to know what's going in, into the building. Because mm -hmm. I think we, we're now better aware that the materials we, we put in our buildings are as important as the food we eat. Yes. We've become very uh, conscious of what we do eat. I, I, th I think that will ease them as um, material suppliers. When there's the sort of demand causing... It, it, exactly. Yeah. I, I know for the, the, the project here in Curtin, yeah, we, we would write to a material supplier saying, yeah, does your product meet these criteria, the red list? Mm -hmm. And we get the typical response, not sure, hope this helps. <laughs> yes. Well, I found it a fascinating thing to um, to look at, well, the standard. When I got into the materials, materials is where I really uh, have focused my, my sort of attention uh, historically. Uh, but I ended up on a on a map drawing uh, every expanding radiuses of uh, you know how far away my materials could come from yeah and just sort of with my fingers crossed that uh, I'm looking at using cork uh, facade sort of insulating cork facade okay and, and I was you know the the biggest circle just reaches uh, sort of northern Spain and southern France so I'm <laughs> I'm hopeful that that's where my uh, my cork comes from is there a uh, option to use recycled cork from oh I don't know not recycled, but reclaimed. Yeah, um, oh, that might be. Yeah, drink a lot of wine bottles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd have to start now. Just just conscious of time, but um, to, to, to wrap the Living Building Challenge together, mm. yeah, the, the, the project in, in Lancashire, which is the, 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 the first one, um, I, I think is a great example of what we can do. Um, we need to learn how we scale that up to, to, to other buildings. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the, the design was by Barbara Jones, who you probably know from Strawworks. Yeah. yeah. So that um, you know, we, we have a, a sizable visitor centre and cafe, very, very busy outside the pandemic, a very busy, successful um, visitor centre, mm -hmm. which apparently has increased the footfall to the park, the country park, by a factor of four. Wow. So people want to go and see this building, etc. So, and whilst they're there, they'll take a walk, start to appreciate you know, what's on their doorstep, you know, what, what's, what, what's nature got to offer them. Yeah. Um, so the, the foundations are made of tyres. There's no concrete anywhere in the building. So that, that's a waste product being reused back into, into buildings. A lot of it was uh, constructed with um, uh, voluntary uh, labour mm -hmm. and some under training schools. Uh, most of the timber, um, especially the cladding timber, was grown on site. But yeah, it's, it's got some really nice uh, yeah. ideas to it. And in terms of a sort of circular economy, um, the, the, if necessary, the building could be taken apart, so it's demountable. There's no mortars or too many glues. Yeah. Um, all, all natural materials can be re recycled uh, sort of, and composted back into into the land if necessary. Um, and then the, the, the elements can be uh, reused on other buildings. Yeah, the glazing, the... Uh, Air condition, no, it's not air condition system, but ventilation systems, etc. It's that uh, the the circular economy idea of using a building as a or thinking of a building as a material store uh, for for future buildings. Yes, it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was, wasn't necessarily designed that way. But you, 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 are you familiar with the butterfly model from the? Uh, I'm not sure that I am. No, from the circular economy. There's two routes um, to to bring materials back into into use rather than go to landfill or to waste mm -hmm. one is through reuse recycling which is pretty straightforward and then the, the other is back through composting um, materials to energy and that's that, that type of approach uh -huh. um so we're hoping someone would like to do a sort of case study on the, the current value of which route the building can be taken yeah. once it's um i hope that it will never be taken apart you know because it's you can replace all the bits on it as you go through. But sh should there be an end of life to the building, yeah, um, then we can we can do it that way. Yeah. And uh, actually, that's the other interesting around the Limbion Challenge. The Bullet Centre I mentioned in Seattle has a design life for uh, two hundred and fifty years. Mm -hmm. So you know, it makes you think more into not quite deep time, but yeah, more than our normal sixty years. Uh, approach. <laughs> yes, and the the Curtin Valley here. I, I think Barbara mentioned it's about 125, 150 year life. 
That's great. And along the way, you can ch change individual components, but to actually change the structure, that's the life of the, the structure itself. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A huge thank you to Martin for that. Uh, I really enjoyed finding out more about the Living Building Challenge. Uh, it's sort of given me maybe more questions that I want to ask. So maybe we can get him back on and we can really go deep into the, the different categories of the Living Building Challenge. As I said at the beginning, there are so many links to the things discussed in this episode in the show notes. So do dig into those. Uh, and do get along to one of Martin's Zoom Regeneratives. Uh, they are truly excellent. Uh, you can find those on his website, which is fairsnape.com. Again, links are in the show notes. Um, if you have enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could take a moment to share it, get it out to a wider audience. If you listen on Apple and have two minutes to spare, I would love it if you could write a quick review that would be so, so appreciated. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast financially, then head to the Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. Get yourself lots of bonus audio uh, and other gubbins on there as well. Um, so that's it from me. Big love to you all. And until next time. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.